0: All right. Happy Friday, everyone. And welcome to yet another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are continuing to explore the landscape of learning technology. We're cutting through the fluff and getting the questions answered you need answered. Uh, While we're getting started here, go ahead and like the post, share it, tag in somebody who'd benefit from the conversation. And for those of you who are watching, for whatever reason, YouTube geeked out. So, If you're on YouTube, you can't see this, but it doesn't matter because you'll find it on LinkedIn or one of the many other places that we're streaming. So it's fine. I will put the video there afterwards. You just can't participate live, but this is called flexing in the flow. So, all right, here we go. Today I am joined by John Peebles. He is the founder and CEO of Administrate. And we're going to be talking about, well, training operations and administration, and we've got a whole bunch of fun things planned. We've had a very fun get to know you before we get started. So I have no doubt, no doubt that this is going to be a fun conversation. But before we get into all the tech stuff and all that, we'll do our usual get to know you stuff because I know you, John, but no, but other people don't. Maybe some do, but but many others may not. So first off, Okay, where are you in the world today? And we answer that question first.
1: Sure, well, I am broadcasting today from the beautiful city of Edinburgh in Scotland. And uh, it is about four o'clock, which means it is almost pitch dark now. We are that far north. People tend to forget how far north the UK is, but we're on the same parallel as basically Southern Alaska. Okay. So it gets pretty dark in the winter here, but it's also super nice and light in in the summer.
0: Well, and it's good that it's dark because we talked about this. You had to sneak through the shadows of darkness to get <laughs> into to get into the office to be able to broadcast. So it that's actually right. worked
1: out. We've we've got a very narrow window of presentable that is right behind me, and uh, you know that's about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I, I, and this is completely unrelated, and this wasn't one of the prefab questions, but I'll ask because you have guitars behind. Are you are you a guitar person?
1: Yeah, you know, I I'm a very bad guitar player, but that was okay when I was in my teens and in, in college or as they would say in Scotland in university because I just played hard rock, which is, you know, you tune down to drop D and it makes the fretting a lot easier and you just bash the guitar a bunch and you know, it's uh it usually works out okay. So I haven't haven't played these things really uh regularly in a few years, but um, they're my decor. So they remind me of maybe my yeah, past they, it's, faded it's cool glory.
0: Decoration. I gotta I got give yeah. it that, I gotta give it <laughs> that. Okay, well, I'm in Waukesha where I always am, right? Literally am always here, um, so, so that hasn't changed. But now, before we get into it again, the question that has nothing to do with learning technology is, and you had a lot, so I, I'm very interested to hear where you landed on this, Everybody else can play along too. But what is the worst travel experience you've ever had? (laughs) So so I would say I've had
1: many, many uh, miserable travel experiences. And, you know, so we won't go into stories of being arrested or near arrested or, you know, crazy countries all over the world or anything like that. uh, Because those were actually just fairly okay. I think for me... And the one I always joke about with my family is um I grew up in the People's Republic of China. And so I lived there until I went to college. My folks still live there uh about at least 10 15 years uh, after I was uh, in, in uh, graduated from high school. And so every year they would buy a plane ticket for me to come home at Christmas. And you know, we would buy from this super cut rate travel agent that no longer exists. <laughs> And uh, with all the surprises that would you know, I would always be in like a back middle seat right by the bathroom, or whatever. but one year we got a screaming deal, and it was like two or three hundred dollars cheaper than ever before. And it just meant that I was in, going to school in Indiana, and so I flew from Indianapolis, and normally you'd do you know Indianapolis, Detroit, Detroit, Beijing, and your home. But this time it was Indianapolis, Cincinnati, and then Cincinnati to L.A. And then in L.A., they announced just before we were taking off that they had overloaded the plane. And so we were going to be making an unscheduled refueling stop in Anchorage, Alaska. And so we stopped at uh, Anchorage and they opened the doors because that was regulation. We couldn't get out. Uh, we're all just standing there and there's the doors and they're refueling us. And then we flew, flew from Anchorage to Shanghai and then from Shanghai to Beijing. And so it was something like, you know, 35 hours on the clock after I had, uh, you know, actually gotten to the airport in Indianapolis that I made it back home uh, to my family in Beijing. And and we, I just teased them about that. It was the worst travel experience of all time. And actually, that's, you know, when you think about it, it's, it was okay. I was... It was nice,
0: you, know. <laughs> it was okay. you got your segments yeah right you got your status <laughs> exactly. segments, that's oh sure. no but well, that's the
1: thing is you didn't get any frequent flyer miles with these cut rate tickets because oh, that's true. you know that's
0: that's one of the things it's, it's, okay it's, so 35 hours and 37 segments and yeah. nothing, nothing to show for it <laughs> <laughs> and you finally made it home but we were home so you okay know, all right all right well you mm-hmm. know i actually it was funny i had to reflect on this quite a bit because I don't really travel anymore, uh, very rarely. Um, I used to all the time. I used to travel all the time. Now I don't. Um, and so I was like, I'm like, man, just thinking back, you know, digging into the archives. I'm sure I had a number of flight ones. I used to be a real jet setter. And I, my, but mine were always really small. Like I never had some dramatic, even yours was like, wow, wow. You went all over, you flew all over. Mine was like, the person next to me, I had earplugs in, I put them in in front of them and I put headphones on and I'm singing and they're still trying to talk to me. And I'm like, what what part of this are you not understanding that I'm I'm trying to focus here? But then I was like, well, I guess there was one. Uh, I had to go out to our corporate headquarters. And so I was there and we got hit by a snowstorm. I'd gone out there, a friend of mine worked with me at the time and we'd both gone, we'd gone together. And then we got there and we got hit in Connecticut with just the world's worst snowstorm. And we knew it was coming. And so we're like, our flight's going to get canceled and we're going to get stuck out here. And so we had this random idea, like, I know, let's rent a car and drive home. (laughs) Took us I think there's a movie about that, you know? It it was... (laughs) terrible because we drove through a blizzard, not just like in one city, but we decided to drive through the path of the blizzard in the opposite direction. And we, we started driving right as the blizzard hits. We're like, hey, great, let's go across the country and go through the entire blizzard the whole way. But, you know, to your point, it was kind of fun. It was kind of fun. It was an adventure. We, we only went off the road once. It really wasn't that bad, but it did take a long time.
1: Yeah, more and more, it's just when I'm traveling and things go haywire, it's like, you know, I just keep reminding myself, this is just going to be a great story one day.
0: (laughs) One day. (laughs) One day. Maybe not this day. I'm going to be on a live stream with Christopher Lynn. Exactly. And and I'm going to be able to tell this story for everyone and they will enjoy it. All right. Well, so let's 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 end with the travel stories. Those of you watching, also be sure to comment in. We can, I will bring the comments in if you have questions along the way as we get going. But let's transition into administrate and and this whole learning operations. So, as the founder of this thing, I've got to, I've got to know the story, and I think everybody else would benefit from this to just hear where did this come from. were you just sitting in an airport in Anchorage, and you said, I know. <laughs> I'm going to create a training administration platform. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no, not at all. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting story, actually. And basically, so I graduated from college, university, and ended up working at a startup in South Florida. And, you know, it was a great experience. Uh, I was the CTO and COO of that company. And we grew really, really quickly. And we were growing within a very niche segment of healthcare, which was pharmacy technology. And specifically within that, pharmacy transaction processing for these very special programs that had complex regulatory and pricing and all this type of stuff, right? And all of this was just super niche. And even if you're a pharmacist, you had to come on board and learn a ton. And as we started to grow very quickly, to about 120 people in just a few years, and had a couple hundred hospitals. We started to bring on partners, and we had customers. All of these different segments needed training, and we really just struggled with it. And I remember it—it it was an acute problem because you had to come on board, and we had to get you up to speed, and hopefully within weeks or months. And we didn't have any software to track it. We tinkered around with building some stuff. There was. A lot of LMS is out there, but for us, you know, it's a combination of intensive classroom plus recertification, all the types of things that you would see in a complex training environment. And after I left that company, I had the opportunity to exit, it was one of those things that just stuck in my mind. That was this unsolved problem that really bothered me because you know it's like there has to be a better way to solve this, and. At the time, uh, we were in South Florida. We were desperate for engineers. South Florida is not where I would recommend starting a, a tech company per se. Really? Yeah, it's a major metro area that, at the time, was graduating about fifty-five computer science uh, graduates uh, per year. And uh, anyway, we were we were we looked to Scotland to to potentially open up an engineering hub in Edinburgh, and it never worked out for some silly unrelated reasons. But as I kind of looked back, you know, I grew up overseas, uh, wanted to continue to live overseas. There was this company in Scotland that was called Administrate and they were looking for somebody to come on board. And what it was, was software that had been an internal tool built by a training company up in the Highlands, uh, a little town named Fort William, which is the gateway to the Highlands, Um, incredibly beautiful surroundings. But this training company had started cobbling together some software that they thought could help run their their operation. Okay. And as they did this, some other partners and so on got interested and you know asked, can we buy this? And so it was it started life as a spin out. But that idea of there's this software that can basically be infrastructure for that training operation uh resonated with me. And I felt like it, you know, there wasn't much else out there on the market that was really focused on that problem and that was about 9 years ago when I when I moved over here and uh and came on board. Okay. Got it. Got
0: it. Well, and so what's interesting about that is when you think about the inner workings or the operations of this stuff, that's not necessarily something you watch you look on YouTube, you 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 go to conferences. That's usually not the headliner. <laughs> yeah. It's usually not the headliner. You like I am so excited to talk about the inner workings and the ops of learning and development. So I am just curious, and this is kind of more of a random get to know. Are you more of a process? Is that, is that kind of just the way you, is that what drew you to it? Where you're like, ah, I kind of like this space, even though it's not as flashy as maybe the LXP or something like that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think, uh, for, for me, um, being the chief operating officer of this startup previously the idea of having platforms that we could run portions of our business on was something that we thought a lot about you know and this is this is back in 2006 when we got when we started this company um and you know there just wasn't the the huge range of software solutions out there even stuff like bug trackers for engineering just wasn't nearly as mature as, as it is today. And so, you know, I've always been very interested in platforms that can help a business operate and be more efficient and so on. And, you know, one of the things when I was growing up, my father was running a training company in China and my mother was a teacher, unfor- unfortunately for me at times, although it's was, it was good overall. She was a teacher in my high school, taught me. Um, and, you know, my I sister... want to look
0: at it. Yeah, it was,
1: you know, <laughs> she might watch this too. So, uh, you know, so my, my sister is a special education teacher and I taught English in Asia to make money. And so there's just this idea that there's this whole portion of education behind the scenes that most of us have never thought about as students that 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 I really uh, knew existed and had felt and in a variety of different roles you know kind of that let's get people trained because our business requires it or let's I've got to do all this admin work because I'm a teacher walking into this training center all that stuff I kind of experienced at different different times and it resonated uh, a lot with me
0: okay so we'll get into that because I do want to talk about that Um, But before we do, I am really curious because this can sometimes, especially when you think about this, if you've been an educator, if you've run the operations of a learning organization, if you've been an operator, even in business, you understand sometimes a little more keenly that, and we use the analogy of the iceberg, but backstage was you see this, what you don't see is the other 90% behind that. But that can sometimes be hard to explain. So I am curious when when you tell people what you do, or a hey, we we created a software called Administrate, how do you how do you describe it? Yeah, it's it's a great
1: question, and you know what we tend to to talk about these days, and this is you know after a number of years kind of testing this idea or this thesis. W- today we talk about the fact that we are ed tech infrastructure, right? Uh-huh. We we really want to be infrastructure that all the other tools and things. Within the ed tech industry, can plug into and and probably your the rest of your tech stack that's within the main uh, business that you're running, and so that's what we describe ourselves. If you are not in the industry, you're kind of like, huh, you know, isn't there already <laughs> stuff to do that? That's weird. Oh, I had an LMS once, and, and you know, so on.
0: If <laughs> and you just say your, thanks, okay, you know yeah, what? I, yeah, we're like, Yeah, go, yeah, I gotta go get a coffee.
1: Exactly. And if if you're in the industry, you might even depending on how large you organize, where you sit within the training organization or LD, you know, you might think, "Oh, we've got all that figured out." Nor- normally, executives, "Oh, we got all that figured out." Oh you know? yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, if you're on the if you're on the team that's normally responsible for things like reporting or analytics or classroom instruction delivery, resource management, usually it it really quickly resonates because you know that that pr- predominantly is is uh, managed with spreadsheets
0: today. Okay, and and I would completely agree with that sentiment that a lot of times because things are happening because things are happening people just assume yeah we got that covered yeah. we got that covered it's it's all good I, as far as i know everything's great but you start digging in and i think this is one of the most important reasons why as leaders it's it is really important to not that you got to be in the weeds but you got to know what's happening in the trenches and understand what's going on because to your point i would say most organizations if you actually peel back the onion and saw what was going in to make it work, you would go, Oh, we got, we, we can do better than this. Like we can, we can improve this and not just you're doing something wrong. No, there's gotta be a better way. We're using way too many resources, spending way too much time. There's way too much efficiency into the system. Absolutely.
1: And I think the way that we tend to think about it is you know this might be the third or fourth wave potentially of, of of a transition that we've already witnessed and you know it started kind of with crm right and it was first the sales team was like we need a system to help run our our whole operation whatever and Prior to that, I mean, you know, maybe in the 80s, 90s, but you know, it's just, it wasn't super well in our, okay, fine, we'll get a CRM. And then the second wave, if you will, is, was kind of marketing teams, right? Because if you rewind 10, 15 years, marketing didn't have any tools or platforms or anything. And they would just spend money and it'd be maybe mad men in color, right? And (laughs) um, so, so then you get then, and then all of a sudden now it's like, oh, marketing has gotta be one of the most instrumented and tool heavy operations. now. And and now our our hope is this wave continues into uh, learning development and so on, because um, the transformation that that happens is dramatic. You know, you have folks, I don't know, 15 years ago, the idea of having a full time CRM administrator or some sort of full time data scientist or analytics person on a marketing team. That would just be really strange. And I think we're kind of at the cusp of that in LD yeah. right now today. And hopefully that just continues. But I don't think it's a new thing. And I don't think it's a, a thing that you know we're unfamiliar with it just hasn't yet hit L and D in, in force.
0: I think I'm really glad you brought that point up. I actually hadn't made the connection I had with marketing, but I, I didn't really think about it from a sales CRM standpoint. And it is a very relatable analogy where you can think about you before CRMs, there was just this, well, sales, they keep track of their customers and they know where deals are and deals are happening. So I, I we're good. We're good. Versus yeah. all of a sudden it was, well, when you really started looking at the need, you started realizing there is a lot of inefficiency and there's a lot of lost revenue and a lot of lost you know, resources and wasted resources that we just didn't know were happening because it was all behind the curtain and we just kind of figured, hey, I don't care how the sausage is made as long as it comes out the other end. And I think that's that's a similar journey that we're on right now as an organization. And I, to me, where I see, you know, to your point of, do, do we think this trend should move forward? I think the answer is an obvious yes, or that would be to me, yes. It should. I think what's going to keep it moving in that direction, if it wasn't already, is one, right, this stuff is becoming mainstream and it's going to just naturally tread into our territory. But I feel like 2020 especially, and again, to your point, all this stuff was coming before. This this stuff was coming for us one way or the other. But I think one of the things that 2020 did is it really turned up the heat on accountability, in two ways for for our field. One was our businesses were struggling, so they had to ask more questions. They couldn't just go, well, learning happens and they have this budget. And I, I know they may not really be able to answer how they come to that, but it's fine. So there was that pressure, which I think we felt varying degrees of that for a long time. But I think now the other thing that really tuned it up was, you know, in 2020, our businesses really needed us like yes. and realize they needed us. It was like this eye-opening moment of holy smokes, we need this function to help us get through this, to develop our employees. We're transitioning, we're in territory we've never been in before and we know it. And as a result that accountability got tuned up and there were questions being answered that we've kind of been able to get away with not answering for a very long time. So I think that's where I I don't, and I don't think it's going to go back. So I think that should move (laughs) us in the right direction.
1: There's so many thoughts actually, because I I agree with everything you said. And I mean, it's almost, I could say about five or six things in response to that, but you know, it's (laughs) one of the things that, that we have as a hope for uh, our customers and learning professionals uh, everywhere, you know, and I'm a huge fan of the, the West wing, right? So I'm always like bringing in You've had a lot show. of
0: show movie references already, yeah. Yeah. and we're only 20 minutes in.
1: Yeah, so so in the West Wing, somebody basically does something dumb and and thinks that they might be in trouble, and then this this whole thing you know comes out of it. But uh, there's this there's this key moment where the press secretary goes in and just says, "You need to remember that I'm your first phone call, right? You know, if you if you think you're getting into trouble, and it's it's that idea that we really want L and D." To be effectively the CEO or the management team's first phone call when there's going to be a big change, if there's going to be a new revenue opportunity, if there's going to be cost cutting, if there's going to be a change in market dynamic, we want the L&D team to be literally the first phone call because that's the way we think it should be. Uh, the, the larger you get uh, uh, in organizations, the more complex you get. Yep. You think back to my my silly example uh, the startup tech startup in South Florida, we only had 120 people. And it was a f- most of them were on Eastern time zone. Right. You you think about complex, multinational, multi-regional operations, and it just explodes in complexity. And and so how do you how do you get to the point where you are that first phone call like you should be uh, and and being able to feed in the data and so on that that you need? Um, that that's what we think a lot about, and that's kind of our 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 vision or one of the pieces of our vision of this edtech infrastructure, facilitating okay. that.
0: Well, it gets to the point. It gets to the point of and and i I've almost gotten tired of hearing this because it's been said so long, and then so often there's no action taken to get to this. but there's there's always this talk of we want to move from order takers to strategic business partners and you're like that's fine you can keep saying that till you're blue in the face but if you don't start acting like a strategic partner where you have your operations in order and the CEO can trust hey we have a big business market shift we're going to need to develop the organization or we need to make sure that people you know are are ready for this from a change management or development standpoint they need to know that when you pick up the phone and they say this you don't go uh yeah let's let's see if we can figure something out I'm not really sure how we're gonna pull this off that you can just say hang on I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna prioritize this we're gonna come back and we're gonna be able to execute and here's what we think we're gonna be able to do with that yeah it, it's a journey
1: that we talk a lot about that we want to help we want to partner with uh organizations and go on with them and it's kind of this maslow's hierarchy of needs right where with a you oh, know, we're remember in
0: academic terms yeah. here remember back, direction. Yeah.
1: <laughs> remember back to maybe we took a course on this or whatever and it, you know like I, I was i was talking about this one time and somebody came up afterwards and they're like i've done significant research on this and is a largely discredited theory and I said, "Oh, okay foot but, but we'll, we'll we'll larch in anyway um so you know bottom level is like air and water and whatever and you go up and you, i
0: thought wi-fi was the new button. well
1: that now you've just stolen my joke because at the top of the pyramid right it's like where is my free wi-fi right and those are your first world problems right uh, my, my coffee was too too hot or too cold or whatever um but that's what we talk about with our customers and learning organizations is like the, the bottom levels are just getting organized, right? Uh, and then because that that takes a lot, and that could take a year, that could take two years. You know, you, yeah. you have companies, they'll have different regimes, acquisitions, all this different tech that needs to be dealt with, and so on. Just getting organized is a big job. And then moving up, it's like, how can we automate? Then once we're automated, we've got the space to be much more analytical. And then you've got that space to react to a business uh, priority or a situation. Um, you know, we we saw a lot of customers. You know, they they were pivoting business models in some cases and trying to react and and you know support initiatives that might have been COVID nineteen related and so on. Having that flex and that organization, and so on, to be able to move on a dime was really transformative for a few of them, and it was it was pretty cool to see.
0: Cool. So on that, on this operate because I think one of the things I do want to actually decrypt this a little bit, and then I want to talk about what actually goes into it, because you hit on a couple of things that I think are really important that (laughs) I think there's sometimes the reason we've gone, yeah, we really should clean this up, but Um, so, so we'll get to that. But when you say kind of cleaning up your operations, I, there, there are tools out there that have specific focuses, whether it's specifically around content. Things. So when you say the ops, what components of the ops really is within the umbrella of administrate?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And and maybe we'll just say what it what it's not (laughs) to get started.
0: So what what
1: what is it with what is it not? Yeah. So what what it's not is a direct replacement for whatever learning management system that you have. And 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 that's even optimistic, saying that you only have one, probably, right? So most of our customers will have (laughs) multiple.
0: (laughs) That is a very generous assumption. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and and they're you know they all do things well, and they all do things. uh, Most of them do things that administrate doesn't. We have an e-learning function and so on, but it's much more of the LXP. Our goal is to front these various systems and basically give a unified view to students and then they hop out of administrate and go off into whatever learning product it is and they do their learning there and the and the idea is to get get the information from those other LMSs and so on back into administrate right okay. because our what we are is really focused on things like resource management classroom management most organizations don't run their classroom management within any learning product today it's usually within a spreadsheet or an Google amalgamation calendar of calendars, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 and if, in, and even people more, MacGyver it, big yeah. Time. And even more difficult is if you're an internal training team, you are probably sharing resources that are meeting rooms and so on that are managed, you know, outside of. Outside of your domain, you know, yeah. some calendar Usually somewhere. An
0: exchange. It's something you're working yeah. through some sort of admin or somebody who yeah. holds the keys to the actual room itself. Yeah, and
1: and then it's and then it's okay. There are lots of activities and learning activities and things that need to be done that are around potentially those e-learning activities. So learning pass is a big one, and those could be just things like. You know, uh, achieving the certificate or going to this workshop or doing this thing or submitting this book or whatever it is, right? All that stuff. Uh, And then, you know, all of the the mechanisms around requesting learning, tracking the learning, uh, scheduling instructors, uh, dealing with vendors, dealing with resources. You know, many customers will have uh, complex simulators or equipment that they need to be trained hands on. All of that resource management is kind of our bread and butter, and what we help customers with. And and then you know once that is done, and the you can start to be analytical about it. So we've invested a lot in in reporting and and so on. Uh, we then want to plug into the mainline business systems. Okay. And so if you're a manufacturer, that could be whatever is running your assembly line on the floor. Uh, that could be your mainline CRM. If you're you know a, a software company or something. And the reason we want to do that is because then you can actually start making business decisions or, or at least illustrating how your training and your operational excellence is uh, supporting those business objectives. So probably the, this is, again, a bit abstract, and that, that chafes me when I'm listening to people being very abstract. But like a great <laughs> example of this is if you're a manufacturer, and we, we did this with a, a customer of ours, Brunswick, who makes uh, a lot of boat they have a lot of boat brands in addition to bowling balls. Um, I was
0: just going to say the bowling company. Yes.
1: Yes. So that, that I would say, I, I don't remember, but I think, you know, how many bowling balls you have to sell to make one boat and they've got like 15 different boat brands. Wow. Um, so, <laughs> you know, we, we go in with Boston Whaler uh, who is inexplicably located in North Florida and they integrated us with their, their assembly line manufacturing resource planning software And so it was simple stuff, but all things being equal, if Chris, you're being scheduled for a shift and I'm being scheduled for the same shift, they'll go with you because you've progressed farther or longer or done what better in your training or had the training, and I haven't. And so that's just a very simple thing. And then once you show up on the assembly line, it was, okay, install this propeller. Let's just say you could only accept that job if you'd been trained because the system was querying administrate. And then once- you have you're actually sitting there installing the propeller. You could pull up the the training materials and the documentation reference stuff again served out of administrate into the software, so you can remember which way the propeller turned, and and it's things like that that when we went in and visited and said how's it going, you know this is a number of years ago. Uh, they were they were all feeding back to us stuff like we we love administrate because it reduces our manufacturing errors, yeah. and we we're like. What and I was like, oh yeah, that's actually really what we're all about here in LNT, right? Yeah, uh, right? So that was that was very satisfying, and that's what we're really, really going for,
0: if that makes sense. No, it it does, okay. and I think you know one of the things that sometimes where I would see some of this operational stuff be overlooked, especially especially on some of the use cases you just described, right? Especially manufacturing, um, any of these big types of operations is if you're if you're operating out of the crystal palace right corporate sometimes you you have a little bit of a disconnect for what learning what type of operational learning is actually happening on the on the floors in the day-to-day, you know, we have a, we have, you you may have a little bit over-indexed on your knowledge workers Yes, where you're not necessarily as concerned about the operations because it's like, well, we, you know, it's not, there's not as dramatic of an impact. It's more around, you know, the, the softer side. And again, I don't say softer, like it's lesser, it's just a different side. And you may not realize there are parts of your organization that fundamentally this can, to your point, reduce manufacturing errors yes this can reduce you know customer complaints this can reduce you know cust- increase customer set some of these things that they may be metrics that aren't specifically within your wheelhouse and it may be easy to say well that's not necessarily a problem I'm dealing with right now but my answer to that would be well, it's happening in your organization somewhere. You just may not have visibility into it. And that doesn't mean there's also not opportunity in your org itself.
1: Yeah, you're you're absolutely correct. I mean, the, there's the, the, there's even this thing where it's like, you know, because a lot of us are knowledge workers and probably many of us that are watching or listening are knowledge workers, but we, we do forget, you, know, you can take a software engineer and more or less transplant them into any software discipline or, or, or operation pretty much anywhere. It's more or less the same, but you know, when, when Brunswick was trying to hire in folks to work on their assembly line, it didn't matter if you've been an assembly line worker your entire life, you still had to go and learn. I mean, you could move from a BMW plant to a Mercedes plant. You still have to go through this whole regimen of it training. Yeah. And it's, it's non-negotiable and it is super, super important. And and the other thing that we think about a lot is how do you turn training and the L&D function, uh, the metrics and the data that we have into leading or lagging indicators that are yes. important to the business, right? So uh, the example that I like to use is software company uh, as a customer of ours, FordRock, and they're a very fast growing startup uh, in the identity management space. But they they just simply exposed training uptake records for each customer, because they they train both the internal employees, but they also train customers um, on how to use their products, and they just expose those records to the renewals team. And their subscription based business, right? So renewals are the lifeblood. You have to renew, and yep. just by seeing which customers were no longer taking any training, was a massive leading indicator that that customer may not. Re- may not renew. And the renewals team could be like, uh Oh, we've got a problem here. Nobody's been training in the last three or four months, they got a renewal date in three or four months, we need to hop on this and figure out what's going on. Yeah. So it's super powerful stuff like that, that that we have in the L&D in the training space that the rest of the business really needs in order to to achieve that excellence.
0: <clears throat> and I think it's such an important point in in terms of thinking about this, because I think for a long time, we haven't realized the goldmine of business value we've been sitting on or or we really haven't been shepherding it very well because it's just we've kind of been leaving it to do its thing. And we're like, oh, we don't really know. You know, it's on a tape drive somewhere, I'm sure, or a spreadsheet that it's all in, it's all in John's head. I'm sure we're fine. And not realizing, hey, if we can actually extract that, if we can pull this out, if we can manage this really well, we now have business data. Not learning data, not, hey, so many people completed e-learnings. No, we have actual business data that can show us. And if we learn how to read that, to your point of, hey, we've got leading indicators here. Customer education is another per prime example I think of. Um, I, you know, I remember leading customer education for a firm, and it was a similar type thing where you could start to see, hey, we know how to predict and we can reduce customer complaints and customer service inquiries because we know, you know what, we've got a learning problem over here. And if we can reduce volume of that, we can dramatically reduce workforce planning for customer education. I mean, it was it was crazy when you actually start playing with this stuff to realize how much power you wield that we just, we don't realize we have it. Yeah. And it's super
1: difficult, right? That simple act of contrasting potentially your Zendesk queries by area of the product from customers over the last 12 months with... You know your training uptake that right there is a huge project that melts everyone's brains and often won't even get off the ground that's probably the base most basic level too it and and so it, it's that type of thing and it, it's it's nobody's fault right because uh learning products just haven't really thought deeply about this um but uh, that's the thing that that we're hoping will be a real sea change over the next you know, decade, let's just say.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny because I'm now having like a cold sweat starting to run run over me as I remember times where, you know, you didn't have tools like this to help. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, right, you're in the healthcare industry. There's an audit and you need to pull all of this stuff. Yeah, maybe you can go to your LMS and say, hey, what do we need to do? But what happens when they're like, that's not enough? Yeah. We need to see who's actually and you're going, uh, oh, we got to we got to start scrubbing and looking for this stuff. And you spend the next. Yeah. Like I said, it's making me not the, feel so well right now. Just the, reflecting back on times when that's happened. But you have you almost have this amnesia where you do it and then it's over. And then you're like, "Wow, we'll get back to it. We'll get. We'll, we don't ever want to go through that again." And then life gets in front of us. We keep moving forward. And then it happens again. And it happens again. And I think what we're talking about is rather than waiting for it to happen and reacting, solve the problem so that you don't have to fix it anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I and I think compliance is such a minefield, right? Because, you know, we've even been approached by by companies and you know, they can't, they need to be able to tie training, uh, a certain person got a certain training, at a certain date and time on a certain document, right. That is versioned <laughs> and that is super difficult for most learning products to, to basically manage and handle, but that could be the difference between, you know, winning or losing a lawsuit, frankly. Yep. Um, so it's, it's stuff like that. And I think, you know, our, our thesis back to this lack of infrastructure within ed tech, it is, you know, and I don't want to sound pejorative or arrogant, although I'm very arrogant, uh, just, just so leave no doubt about that. But the, the there's this, the, I, it's kind of this sneaking suspicion as the lack of infrastructure is one of the reasons why I feel like the L&D industry is so faddish at times. You know we just we just get infatuated with uh augmented reality and then you know uh gamification and and whatever it is and it's if you notice it's always student focused. Yes. It's never ever focused on administrative outcomes. It's never really focused on that. And it's it's because no. that's there's just nothing to focus on, you know, and and so that's another thing. Well,
0: and it's, it's not the fun it's, I mean, again, we talked about, it. it's, it's funny, by the way, um, Sam Rogers mentioned that it's a cold sweat. He gets right that like, <laughs> Oh my word, this is, this is coming my way. I've got to, I've got to figure this out. So I, I can I mean literally, there's like a pit in my stomach thinking yeah. about it. But I think this is to your point, one of these things, and let's talk about this a little bit, because this is something that I would say many learning leaders, even, you know, at all levels are like, we know we probably should, you know, if you really asked me, I would say, I'm not really proud of how we manage it or we know we could do better, but I just, I haven't made it a priority because either one, I don't realize the risk or the benefit coming out of it. It might be that some of it may just be, it's not exciting. Immersive tech, and a, and a really cool LXP that that's fancy, right? It looks good on a PowerPoint and this may not feel like it does as much, but that doesn't mean it's any less important. So what, what are some of the things, right? When you engage with a customer who's, who's kind of reached that point where they've gone, you know what, time to actually tackle this thing. What are some of the things that have either prevented them from getting there or that they struggle with in those early stages?
1: yeah it's a great question i There's definitely not a one size fits all uh answer here, but I would say that you know it is intimidating to walk in and say, You know what we need a six figure uh budget or tool <laughs> that you know nobody's ever heard of, and um we've been getting fine getting by with just fine for the last ten or fifteen years true i think I think that um one of the things that prevents folks is is you get trapped very quickly into this this bad cycle. Um, and that is, uh, and, and, and ForgeRock is probably an interesting uh, counterexample to this of how they avoided this. Um, but basically what happens is maybe the company is new uh, and you start off and you are a small training team or the, the company is of existing size and, and so on. And and as you start to grow, what happens is you need more training, right? And so you make more sales and you launch new products and you need more training. And as you do that, you hire more people, right? In in order to create the content, deliver the training and so on. And what happens is you get trapped on this treadmill where you cannot, in, in order to deliver more training, you have to have more people and more stuff. And then you get to a certain size, which a lot of organizations are, and it's all of a sudden the training team is 50 individuals they're all great people they're all working hard they're all doing the right things as as far as the situation in front of them but you can't actually break out of that and and, and cap effectively your coefficient of scale right and so yep. where where fordrock and other and other customers of ours have have done a good job in this is by getting in that infrastructure early or right. or just saying that's it we're going to do this Um, they can cap their coefficient of scale. And so additional growth, training, whatever needs can be done without adding additional people. And in fact, you could free up the people that you already have. Those 50 people could now, 20 of them might now be actually be able to focus on content or, you know, looking at the data and and make transformative change. Uh, And and so I I think it's just an easy trap to fall into. Yeah. I mean, the and well, other thing, the other thing that we, we talk about a lot is, you know, and this, this is not a very good, um, you know, compelling argument necessarily, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's this thing. It's like, it's like, well, every other department gets their system, right? And, you know, sales gets their system. Marketing gets their system. they love that. All- have
0: got a slide. <laughs>
1: Sales and marketing get yeah, theirs. It's, it's just simply not fair. Hard? Right. And and the problem is, is that um we, we've we done it to ourselves in L&D, which is we have said that the learning management system Doesn't is matter. our system and it's our system of record. And it's just not. And uh, that's not a knock on any, you know, there's some brilliant LMSs out there, uh, but it's just so, so kind of reframing that is probably yeah. something that needs to happen when, when you're thinking about this.
0: And and it's, and, and as I've done this and as I've worked with other people on it, I think this is, it's why I think we need to, it's why I started this show. It's why I do a lot of the things I do. We need to up our digital acumen to be able to tell those stories, to be able to explain, no, the LMS isn't everything. We've been yeah. trying to make the LMS everything for way too long. We. We, we, you know, we've been trying to say, well, the LMS, we just need the LMS to do this and this and this. And, and it's like, no, we didn't actually, we needed other tools to support what we were doing and stop putting all our chips in that one in that one basket. And I think that's where there's opportunity to say, hey, how are we thinking about the ecosystem and our operations and being able to tell that compelling story. What's interesting though about these, from a budget standpoint, at least in my experience, Sometimes these are the easier stories to tell on the on this because sometimes these resonate really well with your operators and your finance people. If you're mm. able to actually articulate, look, here's the inefficiency or here's some of the operational breakdowns that we can clean out of this. This is how we can actually justify the return on this investment. A lot of times this is a business conversation that very much you get you get the head nods. You're trying to explain to them about a a culture, creating a culture of development. And that can sometimes be a little bit more of a stretch to help them see that connection. I think it's much easier now, but I think sometimes these can be an easier one. And I guess the other thing that I was going to add to this is to me, one of the beauties in this, I've, I've actually had systems help save this, is when you look at 2020 Okay. There, there's nothing worse than that conversation where the business isn't doing so hot, and you're sitting on a massive team of learning professionals, all of which you love. They're doing great work, and the business says, "We we, we gotta we gotta we gotta cut back," and you can't even make a strong, compelling business case as to why. Let's look somewhere else, because you can't articulate what is happening and what everybody is doing and not from a micromanagement standpoint but to be able to tell the story of from an efficiency this is how we're utilizing this these aren't just bodies sitting around you know checking facebook they're doing this and this and these are the impacts that we're seeing not having that data makes that conversation extremely difficult
1: Absolutely and it's a spot that you never want to be in no. uh, as a leader uh, just full stop but um, yeah if you know if you can be a lean mean training machine and <laughs> you know it and you've demonstrated that you can get information when required and you can pivot with the business and so on, you're just going to be well positioned to help the business navigate change as opposed to being the part of the business that has to change. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we, that, that's been, you know, and we all, we all say this, we've all known this for years. You know, it's kind of that, that thing that the ghost story that training professionals tell each other, which is, you know, the training is the first thing that's cut in a recession. And oh, uh, you know, an empire it, ghost story. ghost yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, <laughs> but, but that doesn't have to be true and and it shouldn't be true and we all believe that so let's let's make it not true
0: no and i and i can speak from experience that if you're doing it well oftentimes it's not oftentimes this is how you end up getting invested in in tough times but if you can't tell that story if you don't have the data to back it if you can't really articulate that then it is true then the ghost story is true because yeah. if, if they just say, I, I don't really know what this group does. You don't really seem to be helping us understand what that is. Times are tight. Shh, we Trim it back. But that does not, to your point, that does not have to be the narrative that always plays out. Yeah. Yeah. So, so with this, because I, I told you, I could keep going. We could keep going for quite a while here. But I do want to transition to this next piece because to me, this is one of the most exciting parts about what's happening Te- with with tech is that i think again one of the reasons people don't get super excited about this is that people don't get super excited about some of this very administrative rote stuff you know nobody wants to scrub 37 spreadsheets and and tabulate a utilization report or yeah. look at 47 calendars and try and pick what are the best dates to select for optimization. And honestly, that's not the best use of human capacity. Unfortunately, historically, there wasn't really a good way to get around that. And I think that is one of the leading problems that led to people avoiding this, was it was like, oh gosh, nobody wants to touch this. It's it's 90% work that everybody hates doing. Technology is changing that dramatically. Because now, guess what? Machines don't hate that stuff. In fact, they love it and they eat it up and they're pretty darn good at it. So let's let's kind of shift into this whole automation piece in terms of how is AI, machine learning, right? We're here, we're, go- we're back to the buzzwords. Let's throw yes. some buzzwords into this, my favorite. <laughs> it wouldn't be a good conversation on learning tech if we didn't, but let's talk about this pragmatically because to me, this is where this whole idea of administration and ops management doesn't have to be, uh. It doesn't have to be that. I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, I mean,
1: so I mean, this is a huge topic, right? In terms oh, of no. automation.
0: So just on this, probably.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and and we've got you know we've got this uh, this this parable right that we have we have written out, which is like, what does administrate in twenty thirty look like? You know, and um, it's. You know, it's all the type of stuff. Uh, you know, the cyberpunk game just came out uh, yesterday, which is just how committed I am to this program. By the way, that I'm uh, not playing it right now. And, you know, it's a dystopian future, but they're talking to their their machines and all this stuff, like we see in in uh, all these things, and and that's kind of what we think about from time to time. But that's a long time now. They're they're just yeah. simple things around automation um, that we we think about a lot and the, the first is you know can you get your data model that you are working with day in and day out as a, as a learning and training professional to be rich enough to basically give you information uh so and, and can you get at that information and interrogate it in a very um fluid dynamic a uh, fast way that does not require folks to assist you uh, hopefully and so um, a digital assistant, if you will, for learning. <laughs> yeah, <knowledge>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and at its most basic level, it's like building reports, right? So, yeah. do you, are you storing the data? Can you access it? Can you build a report? And and what tends to happen, you know, even when we're working on our business, you know, you why why are sales down, or why is this marketing channel performing well? And you come back with the answer and it's like, because you know, pay-per-click ads are doing well, why, right? And then you go again and you have to be able to keep, we talk about, you know, torture the numbers until they confess, right? Uh, it's the Spanish inquisition for for your data. and And without that ability to just interrogate your data very quickly, um, you lose that that flexibility and and the the, the decision to su- support that that could come from from your data. And so then once you get to the point where that's second nature within your organization, how do you automate the dissemination of that information, right? Yeah. And so a lot of this uh, a lot of attention is put towards, you know when we're going through implementation, it's like, okay, what are the business KPIs? What are the things that you really want to focus on as a training team that you know? Means your operation is running well, and then okay. Once we have got that defined, how do we transmit that information to folks, many of whom probably will never ever log into administrate or don't even know what it is, right? And yep. and so just the simple act of an automatic email that goes out with a report attached is transformative for organizations, um, and it happens it happens all the time, and, and those are those are fairly you know straightforward instances of automation or even just stuff like we've just hired somebody and they get put in the HR system and then it automatically you know spits that data yeah. into administrate so you don't have to think about it you know when we're going through and demoing the system there's all of these like add student add you know whatever the you don't want to be you do not want to be clicking those no. buttons you know this is this is very lame right this is very 1990 <laughs> nine or
0: something. Right. Um, so, so it's kind of, you know, getting, getting but to the you're, point. I'm going to stop you there both yeah. because the thing with that is sometimes we vastly underestimate how much time we yeah. end up spending doing this, which is how to your point, you end up being the frog in the slowly boiling pot is you're like, ah, well, you know, I only have to do this here. You know, it's not that big a deal and and it doesn't take me that long. It maybe takes me 10 minutes. That yeah. 10 minutes was really 30 minutes and you're doing it 16 times a day. Suddenly you're like, oh, yes, I'm spending a day a week adding students from one system to the next. Yes. That inefficiency can be game changing.
1: Yeah. And and it's insidious, right? Because um, there's the time that you're spending. Uh, and then there's also the quality gap that you're int- that you're unknowingly introducing. So let me just oh, explain yeah. that. Really, you know, <laughs> this is our you moment of demotivation. Well, yeah, this is our moment of demotivation, right? Which is which is the number one factor that plays into a student's perception of the quality of a course, and we should all know this is the administrative quality of the pre, during, and post course yep. experience. And and so if you are manually adding students or you are manually mail merging important information for students on pre-course instructions or during or post-course, or you're screwing up dietary requirements, right? But those manual emails, that's time consuming. But then what we tend to see is once you can automate that, uh, then training programs and coordinators start sending out three or four reminder emails, and maybe it's two or three emails and a text, you know, and so, the quality yep. of the program increases and the perceived quality of the program increases. And it's just simple bits of automation that we all like to see. You know, even my dentist can tell me via text message that I've got an appointment coming up and press one, respond with one to whatever to cancel and two to, to proceed. Yep. Why can't we do that as training professionals? That's that's what we're talking about. Well, no, I
0: mean, think about this. We talked, we joked about this a little bit when you first came backstage was the number of reminders you got from me. I didn't send those reminders, right? I've automated that to make sure that there's a seamless user experience, that it's a seamless user experience. And oops, I forgot, or I was on vacation. Oh, John didn't know that he was supposed to be here. And oops, it was a, it was a mess. And now he experienced a mess and now he goes, man, this guy doesn't have his stuff in order type stuff versus the automation says, Hey, we're now consistent. We're, yeah. we're consistent. And to the end user, it feels like, wow, they've really got this stuff in order. Everything just seamlessly is happening and it's not requiring the same resources.
1: Yeah. And so we have, we have worked for years now to build out that rich data model that can receive the business rules that are often super complex for yeah. training delivery. And, you know, it's everything from which days of the week do we want to run this, how many sessions per day, what resource, resources are required, what instructors can teach this, you know, all of this stuff, if we can get that baked into the computer, um, at least in the, in the last couple of years, it's been kind of a choose your own adventure leading you down this path, right, which is, the computer's telling you, great, uh, you want to run this course, where do you want to run it? Here's the four locations that you can run it in. Okay. What resource would you like to do? Pick it. And there's this epiphany, you know, that we, that we had a number of years ago, going back to the travel thing actually, which is (laughs) this just totally sucks on some level, right? Because it's kind of like, it's kind of like, I want to say, I want to fly to China and it goes, great. Um, you know, what airplane would you like? And it gives me three options and which airport would you, and what landing slot and what pilots would you like to fly? And what catering and all this stuff? And it's like, no, you I had just to do like, that
0: when you bought a ticket, nobody yeah. would go anywhere. That's right.
1: But that's the way it, it, that, and this is the state of the art right now in, you know, training. So we've been thinking about this problem a long time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, now it's kind of like, okay, you've got, your data model, you've gotten organized, you now have the business intelligence that is in front of your fingertips as a human. How can we feed that data, that business intelligence into a computer and have them, uh, have them, have, have them, the computer uh, <laughs> and their pronouns uh, basically uh, tell us here is the best option. The, the best option. And and yep. we think it's the best option for constraints yeah. that maybe you have baked in and so on. And so that's what we're thinking about a lot right now and into next year. And it's not just the scheduling idea, but it, it's also content. Yeah. It's also, you know, where, where are their patterns? And, and, and now there's another 10 years of, until we get to the computer, please, uh, you know, do this thing right. for me.
0: Right. Yeah. We've got a ways to go, but I think, you know, and we're right at time. So I'm, I'm going to wrap this up because I think that was a fantastic kind of place to end. Because again, otherwise we're going to end up talking yeah. for an hour, several yeah. hours, hours <laughs> um, on this. But I think it's an important piece to think about the fact that it's the one piece that I would say with this, though, is this is why it's so important to get your stuff in order. Because. The promise of automation and artificial intelligence and all this stuff, if you are not putting good in, all it's going to do is run that train off the track yeah. way faster and way more efficiently. And that is not what you want it to do. And I think that's where, while, while we sometimes don't want to go there, it's like to reach these benefits, you have to go through some of the, the tough work and say, we're, we're going to get this figured out. We've been ignoring it. Let's get this figured out. Let's get this cleaned up. Let's get this digital so that we can then start to layer on automation and start to to make this happen in a way that truly allows us to spend time on the things we actually enjoy doing. Because I don't know about you, but I hate copying and pasting information into emails (laughs) or trying to scour calendars. It's not not fun. So with that, I want to thank you for making the time um, for joining me. I'll let you get back to your game so that you can you can enjoy that over the weekend. Thank you, everybody, for joining. Hopefully, you got something out of this. Hopefully, this has you thinking a little bit differently about the possibilities of operations and, and what that that – it can be an exciting thing. I get excited about it. So, hopefully, you do as well. So, thank you, everybody, very much. Have a wonderful weekend. John, thank you for being here, and we will talk again.